chapter 17, Saul says this to David. He said, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And at that moment, something supernatural happens in Jonathan's heart. The soul of Jonathan was knit, as it says, was knit to the soul of David. Notice the grammar. I know it's kind of name. But notice the grammar. It's actually really important in verse 1. It's a passive voice verb. Throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, this is a clue about who is at work. A clue about who's doing the knitting in this case. If Jonathan had done the knitting, if Jonathan had knit the soul, it would have read like this. Jonathan knit his soul to the soul of David. But it wasn't Jonathan who did it. So who did it? Of course, God did God was doing something sovereign, supernatural, in the heart of David. In the heart of Jonathan, excuse me. Have you ever seen somebody knit before? I was at this conference recently, and there was a woman who was knitting virtually the entire conference. It was amazing. She listened to the talks, and she carried her conversations, and the whole time, She's just like, you know, like making a wardrobe for her extended <laughs> family. That one yarn, you know, and it's just keeping you just fold in. And then all of a sudden it's all together in a cohesive whole and it's tight and it's strong and it's sturdy. In this first encounter, God the knitter and the thread of Johnson, Jonathan's soul is being woven into the soul of David. Think about how profound it is. Think about that. Everything about Jonathan, his position as prince and rightful heir to the throne, his lineage as the son of Saul, his power and authority over the army, and up to him in that moment walks the greatest threat to all he has, all he is, and all he will be. And what happens? God ties their souls together for life. Jonathan loves him. Not in any sexual way, I want to be clear on that, but from the deepest parts of his soul. This is pure, sovereign grace. Jonathan, by being aligned with the Messiah David, is aligned with God. Jonathan's soul is brought over from the unfaithful kingdom of his father Saul into the kingdom of the Messiah, God's chosen one. What hope this is for us. What profound grace. I hope we can feel that today, this moment. The same God who works sovereignly in Jonathan's heart still works in the hearts of men and women today. Knitting them to the true Messiah, King Jesus. Humanity does not sit, all of us, we don't sit in a neutral position before God. Our hearts are not inclined to Him. This is what the Word of God says to us in Romans 3. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And if not for the gracious, hard-missing work of God, we would continue our rejection. But God, 
but God, in His incredible mercy and kindness, reaches out and draws us in. What conviction has us in this week? Conviction? Yes, conviction. I think of failures, or friends, or people that I know that seem too far, too stubborn, too hard-hearted. They never believe. They can never be changed. They're set in their ways. As I was studying this passage, I was literally sitting next to a man in a coffee shop who's, you know, this guy, you know, profile. He's sitting next to me, his laptop's open, and he's got stickers all over the back of the laptop, all these various causes that he's, that he's aligned with that I would never align myself with. And to my shame, I sit there, and as I'm studying it, I condemn him in my heart. He probably doesn't know God. He probably never would. He probably never would. No one is beyond the rescue of the Son of Jesus. No one. He can draw even the most hardened heart to himself. Brothers and sisters, this is really important. Do not give up on the God who powerfully works in the hearts of men. Do not give up on him. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. He will put a new heart in you. He will change you. He can do that for your roommates. He can do that for your co-workers. He can do that for your friends, for your family. He can do that for you. Swearing complete allegiance to the Messiah is a sovereign work of God. In Jonathan and all of us. Second, Swearing complete allegiance to the Messiah is a call to love him, not use him. A call to love him, not use him. Verse 2. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan and Saul had very different responses to David. And if you look back at verse 1, you see that Jonathan loved David. But Saul, in verse 2, what did he do? He took him. Took him. Took him from his family, from his house, from his life. This is exactly what Samuel had warned Israel would happen if they had a king. Back in chapter 8, Samuel was warning the people of Israel, and he said this These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. That's what Samuel said. The king is going to conscript your sons, did you know? He's going to have a draft, and he's going to take them from you, from his army. John, by God's grace, saw someone sent by God to accomplish God's purpose. But Saul, he just saw a mighty warrior. He likely saw someone for me, for my army, to accomplish my purposes. So let me just pause and ask you this question. What's your response to Messiah, to Jesus? Do you use Jesus for your purposes? Is Jesus a means to an end? What are some ways that we might use Jesus? Maybe we use him as a ticket out of hell or a ticket into heaven. 
Do you use him to maintain the type of life that you want? Do we use him to just make sure that everything goes nice and smoothly in life? Essentially, the question is this. Do you use Jesus to get what you want? What you want? Often, the impulse is rather than love him wholeheartedly, we want to tame him, to keep him on our terms, use him at the times and the places that we want. Many of you know that my family and I we were missionaries in China for about a decade. And I had the opportunity one time to attend a wedding feast of the son of a good friend of mine. This good friend of mine was the leader of a mosque in Muslim places of worship. And his son was getting married, so he had many Muslims packaged this huge hotel, and they had us all seated around these grand tables, and they seated me, I don't know why, it often happens at, in, in China, not here, but at the table of honor. And there I was seated with all these Muslim leaders from our city, and they're all dressed in their Muslim garb, which most often was a long robe and a round circular hat that sat on their head. Allow them to differentiate themselves from the other people and show that they align themselves with Islam. And as we were sitting around the table having this meal together, one younger man, who was younger than me, started to call me out on my faith in Jesus and started to um, point out ways that Islam and Christianity were this different and then uh, attack me and say why the, the truths of the Bible were not true. And I understand and I respond sometimes, and the meal gradually came to an end, and we left. And as I was walking out, I had to find myself walking up the main staircase, the exit of the building next to this young man who had been attacking me in front of all these people. Then we went out to the road, and then there we were looking for a taxi at the same time, too. So I said, hey, why don't we get this taxi together? And we got a taxi together. And we're sitting next to each other, driving along, and all of a sudden, this Muslim man reaches up, just very quiet, and slips that little cap right, right off his hand. And I said, I turned to look at him and I said, why don't you do that? And he said, it's not convenient. It's not convenient for those to wear that Muslim hat outside of that context. For years ten, we do that too. Maybe it's not a little hat, but we slip off that Christian cloak when it's not convenient. When I came to UI, I wasn't, I graduated from UI a long time ago. I said I was a Christian, and I thought I had goals, I had dreams. I was going to be governor, you probably heard this story, I was going to be governor of Illinois. And really, I know you're laughing because you probably had another jail, which would be true. <laughs> it's not the goal, however misguided, however misguided I was, was bad. The goal was primary. That's what drove the ship, so to speak. And Jesus was a means for me to accomplish my goals and my dreams. So let me ask you again. Do you use him? Or do you love him? Do you embrace him as he is? Do you love him above all other things? Do you submit to him as so, Jonathan? By the grace of God, love for the side. By that same grace, He will do that for us too.
Sorry, I'm going to be just some size of love. Not losing. Third, Sorry for the allegiance to the Messiah will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. Verse 3 and 4. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. But, Jonathan is consummating the inward heart change with an outward formal ceremony. This is the making of a covenant. We're literally cutting covenant. The idea is two parties agree to the terms of a relationship. And this is a formal ceremony from that time. It's a reciprocal thing. You do this, I'll do that. They're making a promise. And at the time, they sealed the covenant or they cut the covenant. And the reason they were cut is because it's sealed in blood. They would slaughter different animals, cutting them in half, and arranging them so it's like this hideous walkway of death. No joke. They would separate the parts of the animal and walk down the middle together. And the picture and the commitment being made is something like, if, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, I'm as good as dead, like these animals. And then they would usually have a meal and exchange gifts. And was locked in place. Motivated by his love, Jonathan makes a covenant with David. But this is a really interesting covenant. It's kind of like he's having a yard sale. Have you guys been seeing before? You know what I'm talking about the term yard sale? Let me tell you about my yard sale. I was on the top of the mountain looking down at some moguls. Moguls are these position fills as you're going down a ski, a ski slope. And I thought, this is a common my life. I can handle that. <laughs> So I started down the hill, I hit the first mobile, and then boom, I'm in the air, flipping every direction, my skis are coming off, they're flying every direction, my poles, my hat, my gloves, everything is going everywhere. That is a yard sale. <laughs> I'm sliding down the mountain. Well, what's happening here with Jonathan? It seems like it's that kind of a yard sale. Look at what he keeps in. Everything's coming off. His robe. The sign of his authority is the son of the king. He's the presumed heir to the throne. He takes it off and he gives it to David. His armor, the sign of a great warrior to lead the army into battle. Even his sword and his bow. His rule over the army, the one who has the authority to bear justice. Jonathan is handing over everything he has. His rule, his reign. His riches, his rights, he is giving it all to him. Why? Why is he doing this? The pastor tells us, because he loves him. Because in David, Jonathan sees the Messiah of God, the deliverer for God's people. And Jonathan, by the sovereign grace of God, knows that if I have him, I have all. Swearing allegiance to the side of Jesus is costly. It will cost you everything. As Jesus was about to leave on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus, and they had this exchange in Mark 10, starting at verse 17. The man said this, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You don't do this. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Before this man stood the true Messiah, the one who would give his life to bring him the eternal life that he was seeking. And this great Messiah loved him. And in love, told him to surrender what he valued most. His son, his riches, and said to gain the eternal treasure of Jesus himself. And he couldn't do it. He wouldn't. Christ Community Church. Jesus is the greatest treasure. But following him is costly. To what do you claim title? What do you hold back? Your future? Your dreams? Your bank account? Your success? You're looking good in the eyes of others. If you will not let go of what you hold so tightly, how will you open your hand to receive the immeasurable treasure of Christ? Swearing complete allegiance to the Messiah will cost you everything. Swearing allegiance to the Messiah, let's hear you for a second. Is a sovereign work of God? Is a call to love him, not use him, will cost you everything. Because, finally, swearing to the religious to Messiah is worth it. Because he will battle for us. Verse 5. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Jonathan's allegiance was well placed, wasn't it? David does what Messiahs do. They deliver God's people from their enemies. The blessings of Messiah are now starting to flow to God's people. He leads these military export exploits and he wins. And the people love it. Even saw servants love it. Jonathan and the people loved him because they needed him. They needed a Messiah right there, didn't they? All the people stood and watched and shook in their boots when that big man took the battlefield and called them out, including Jonathan. He was afraid. He didn't go. He needed an aside. But as David's story unfolds, we find out David himself, he needed an aside too. Not only to win military battles, but the far greater battle against sin, death, and hell. 
When Jesus Christ went to the cross, Jesus the Messiah, he defeated every enemy that stood between us and eternity with the God we were made for. By faith in him, his win becomes our win. But though many of us know Jesus has won this great battle, how easy it is, how easy it is for you, how easy it is for me to give way to despair and to doubt that he cares or fights for me today, that he receives me. I'm talking about right now, that he fights for me right now, for me today. How easy it is to doubt that, forget that, return away from that. Life is a struggle. But if you have trusted in Jesus as Messiah, know this. Know the good news. Jesus won. The enemy is defeated. Peace is yours. Oh, that we would believe that. That we would know deep in our heart that that is true. The battle is over. And he has won. And yes, the battle still rages on. The battle against sin, the battle against doubt, the battle against fear, on, on, depression, despair. We're not in the kingdom yet. But we fight not as victims, slaves to our appetites and emotions and sin. We fight as victors because he won the victory. Jonathan serves complete allegiance to the Son. And so should we. So should we. Swearing complete allegiance to the Messiah is a sovereign work of God. It is a call to love the Messiah, not use him. It will cost you everything. And it is worth it. Because he won for you. Jesus the Messiah is standing before you today, just like David stood before you today. And brothers and sisters, he is calling you to a wholehearted, no holding back, complete allegiance to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah we need. And we do. Give our hearts, we swear allegiance to you. You are the one who won the